Hello and welcome to the Ganatantra podcast. I am Sariyu Natarajan and I am Alok Prasanna Kumar. And in this week's episode we are joined by Professor Chandan Gowda from Azeen Premji University. Uh, Chandan Gowda's research interests include social theory, Indian normative traditions, caste and Kannada literature and cinema. In addition to his academic publications, he's written for newspapers and published translations of Kannada fiction and non-fiction in English. Before moving to Azeem Premji University, he was an associate professor of sociology at the Center for Study of Social Exclusion at the National Law School Bangalore between 2008 and 2011. He's presently completing a book on the cultural politics of the development in Old Mysore state. Welcome to the podcast Chandan. Welcome, Thank you sir. Welcome, welcome. Hello. So today we just want to talk about the state of Karnataka. Uh, and those of us who those of you who have heard our podcast would know Bangalore is never far away from our mentions and references in our uh, or our, our Or our jokes in <laughs> podcast, but we thought we should take a deeper look, in some senses, as to what has shaped the state of Karnataka over the last sixty uh, years of its existence, approximately sixty years of its existence, because it was there as Mysore state immediately after reorganization, and uh, then it has uh, you know it took the shape of Karnataka in nineteen seventy in the nineteen seventies, and uh, now it, it it is in a very different uh, kind of a position. Uh, one of the things which I think I keep getting asked a lot uh, is. Why is it that Karnataka does not, even though you know there was a strong push for a linguistic state, why is it that it has not spawned a culture or a politics of pushing this linguistic agenda forward? Uh, I I usually point to like the Gokak agitation, but beyond that, there has never been like a mass movement of sorts uh, for say linguistic uh, pushing the language forward or the rights of Karnataka or anything, which we have sort of seen in some senses in Andhra, Telangana, and Tamil Nadu. I just wondered if we could start with some some ideas as to why this has yeah. not happened in Karnataka. Yes, and also, I mean, there have been minor mobilizations, and more recently, uh, parties like the one led by not a political party in the classic sense, but the one led by Vatal Nagraj uh, and a few others. Um, and I'd like to recall our listeners to an earlier version of the podcast that uh, Alok and I had run. In fact, that's how we started yes. our podcasting career, if yeah. you want to call it that, uh, where we looked at some of these issues, and one of the questions was. there is in the electoral alignment in karnataka not just no political party that is mobilizing on the basis of uh, of the kannada identity or the or or anything related to that um, but also that funnily enough it is the congress in the last 2018 elections that took up some of these um, questions so in the form of sidramaya writing i think this is something we've talked about in uh, in uh, previous episodes as well ex chief minister sidramaya writing uh, about the finance commission and issues around that uh, though we don't want to go into questions of fiscal federalism um or uh, you know the controversy around the metro as well so to think about you know why is uh, something we'd love to get into um you know the the movement for karnataka's unification as they call it uh, is a late 19th century yeah. story it begins from there yeah. with many people in what used to be bombay presidency marathi speaking areas but also with significant kannada speakers mm-hmm. feeling wronged by the pro marathi atmosphere of the Uh, bureaucracy and judiciary but what truly is driving the sense that karnataka indeed is a linguistic zone which is scattered across different administrative sort of jurisdictions bombay presidency and the hyderabad karnataka and the madras presidency the mangalore region the bellary region and then old mysore state and coorg which was under the chief commissioner yes. 
is the histories that were compiled in the mid 19th century a literary history you map the sites of literary production and then you see you see a fit between language activity literary activity and then the natural fit with territory so there was passionate involvement of kannada writers uh, across these scattered territories all through before the state was you know, linguistically reorganized in 1956 but interestingly this need for a kannada territory was never felt uh, was uh, wasn't it was comfortable to locate itself within a broader entity called india mm. so there's no anti hindi or an anti sanskrit or an anti anything behind it mm. it was really you know uh, wanted to arrive onto itself and be in ensconced within this larger space called india so look at the poems that were written they're all kannada mate and bharat mate are going yes. together yes. so once the state is indeed formed it's as if the issue settled right. and the political parties you know the congress mostly which is leading in most parts of the state for for decades to come uh, it's not an it's not a matter to push uh, or even profit from yeah. and that's the only big party in the state from until the early 80s yeah. so i think because the congress is a national party also and also heading the government here it may not have wanted to push the canada yeah. uh, um sort of card too much but all along you had a small group of activists mostly based in bangalore who felt well karnataka is a state bangalore is a capital out canada not to be supreme here in symbolic terms and in in, in terms of representation in public sort of employment etc so you have you know a history of a certain kind of mobilization against the new tamil migrants who have just come after independence who flush after the dravida kalagam kind of uh, language assertiveness that they have seen and that rubs these people the wrong way and if you speak to them they're constantly sharing memories of that uh, you know what they perceive to be a hardened attitude among the new migrants and how they out to respect kannada out to you know give it its due etc so this even took the form of a small political party called kannada paksha in 1966 which didn't go anywhere but the person who founded it he is the architect of the flag that we have the kannada the, the two color yeah. yellow um red flag um in you know, to tell you how indifferent the political class was to the kannada cause the rajyotsava day that's the day in which the karnataka was formed 1956 yeah was not an official holiday until the 70s no. and the, the kannada activists kept saying this has to become a holiday and these uh, the ruling uh, dispensation couldn't care less just tells you and this again is part of the continuing sense of uh, exasperation among the activists that somehow we have the kannada cause has been wronged um by we've been failed and we need a party of our own but they haven't become a party of their own because it's just a resource question and i think uh, it's just is there is emotional support they can rely on but it's not of an electoral kind i mean the field is too complex yeah. for it to translate into votes so you have a running sentiment i think which is actually thickening and deepening mm-hmm. over the years especially after the composition of bangalore's population has changed there's more hindi in the air tamil is no longer the pet uh, you know uh, attack object or an enemy object in the minds of the kannada activists it's mm-hmm. it's this and then this has gone along with you know which a central government that has tried to be somewhat more brazen about not caring too much about you know 
about local causes. In fact, on the contrary, the, the Hindi in metro that you alluded to just now, the realization was there's a metro in Chennai and Kerala, but they don't have a, an obligatory Hindi sign announcement and why must we have it? So there is that. And Sidramaya you know, took up that cause in a very big way. It was all India news. And this has kept, I mean, you know, central government job announcements mm. being done in Hindi only yes. or English and Hindi, yeah. which meant, you know, you have people coming to write the exam in Hubli and the Hubli locals don't know that there's an exam for which they could have appeared. Yeah. And this was when Lalu Prasad was the railway minister and, mm. you know, there was a mobilization against that. So clearly, there's an on and off, on and off, something happening from outside the state to spark off these sorts of uh, sentiments, pro Canada sentiments, if you will, and which, you know, in, in the social media space, I think they have enormous support. But, uh, you know, what are the political parties doing? You know, J- Janata Dal is a, calls itself a regional party, but hasn't been clear on the Canada question. Kumar Swami, last year when he was chief minister, sanctioned thousand, a thousand new English medium schools, yes. saying that that's what the people need. If I were him, I would have pushed for a bilingual model where, unlike the current only Canada government school model, mm-hmm. but I mentioned this not to say he's, he didn't do the right thing, but to say that there's no thinking on the Canada question at all. Mm-hmm. And the BJP, you know, it's again, it's a mixed, you know, the mixed signals. Um, some of the ministers routinely say that Hindi ought to be spoken and learnt while you have another minister who will also say 75% of the jobs in Bangalore mm. out to be reserved for Kanadigas. So there's a way in which the BJP is trying to both sort of say Hindi should be given a pride of place. We shall not fly the Kannada flag. So, so after the BJP came back to power last year, uh, on the occasion of the Rajyotsava Day, they refused to fly the Canada flag atop uh, the government buildings. Uh, and that must tell you something about how keen they are. On, because as you know, the the true sort of, uh, you know, a challenge, an ideological challenge to to the sort of claims of being a nation that the BJP, the center wants to embrace or has been embracing, has been the federal polity question. Yeah. Different cultural regions insisting on having their distinctiveness respected and maintained and not giving in to any uh, moves that subordinates them. So there is that threat, I think, which they are actively trying to somehow contain. So there, there, there is a double speak on this matter. So there'll be a minister who will say, you know, Hindi is important for all of us to learn. If you want to understand the uh, the importance of Modi, one must learn Hindi, I think someone said recently. Yeah. And you have the uh, education minister who will say, we want 75% reservation in local employment for Kannada-speaking mm. people. For the Kannadigas, which means 16 yeah. years of residence here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's a strange, there's no inconsistency yeah. there. Uh, but stepping back, we realize uh, Canada as a, as a policy matter with any coherent sense of um, objectives to attain is missing. I mean, the the Gokak movement that Alok referred to, which yeah. started in the 80s, as a protest against Gundurav's attempt at making Sanskrit compulsory in government schools, right. that was the first big mass movement you have. Mm. After which, you had the Sarojini Maheshi Committee, which said English must be, I mean, Canada must be made compulsory in administration and reservation for jobs, etc., etc. 
none of which was actually pushed for by any government. Yeah. It's been 37 years now. Uh, what you have are a series of orders, more than 300 government orders saying that should be done, that yeah. should be done. But yes. no, I think it's done. So there is a lack of will, if you want to use a cliche, mm. uh, behind the cause. Yeah, yeah and there's um, a lack of policy coherence as well, to your point. Yeah. yeah. And and I wonder in, in some senses that we, what we were just discussing, is it that there's just too much diversity across Karnataka to say this is Canada and this is an issue which affects all Canadians equally. Because if we, and we spoke about the histories, you had uh, the southern part of the state, which was Mysore princely state. You had uh, Kur, which was under the commissionerate. You had Mysore, uh, Madras presidency, which was uh, Mangalore and uh, Bellari. You had Hyderabad, Karnataka, and you had Bombay, Karnataka. And each of them were, I think, part of that particular political regime. I think still, even at this moment, far longer than they were under a united Karnataka for any reason. I wonder if that has created a kind of diversity and possible conflict of what works for everyone that has led to something like this. You know, the fact of, you know, there being Tulu in hmm. in the South Kenna region and yeah. Kurgi in the Kurg region hmm. as distinct language units, yeah. or the fact that Darwad Karnataka is spoken differently, yes. I don't think any of that will explain why okay. we don't have a Hmm. a pro-Canada stance hmm. in any political party. I, okay. It just hasn't become hmm. a grassroots issue or an issue on which a party can hope to win an election. Right. But I think quite um, one can with some confidence and fairness in retrospect uh, clearly see a lack of vision on this matter. Hmm. Uh, that what Because the literary figures are already sort of complaining about the dominance of English. English was the, you know, after Sanskrit was dislodged, mm. you know, back in the day, yeah. uh, we're talking yeah. 700 years, um, English came to be the enemy yeah. uh, as, as a language of prestige, language with money behind it, etc. Mm. Uh, but then there was this, uh, you know, on, on, in terms of the place Canada out to have in any school mm. there was just no clarity I mean again to go back to this thing I, say, I feel there may have been a lot of um, uh, emotional sort of a backing but no one sat down to see what must we do to absolutely secure the transmission of this language across generations now we find ourselves in this deep confusing uh, is one of the reasons it's not found a political articulation or some kind of partisan identity arising out of it um is it because unlike in some instances, in some ways, the Tamil movement, um, as well as in the context of, let's say, Telangana, it has another identity attached to it, which is in the context of Telangana statehood, in the context of uh, the movement in Tamil Nadu caste. Um, and is the inability to link Canada with one of these other identities that could also reside in the individual beyond residence in the state of Karnataka. Uh, could that be one of the reasons that could provide an explanation for the lack of political outcomes based on uh, electoral sort of manifestations of it? Yeah, I think, uh, thank you. I think the, the absence of another around which one a, a mobilization <laughs> can be built to yeah. ask for a, a solid set of policy things, yeah, yeah. that has been missing. I mean, if yeah. you want to dislike English what do you do about it I mean you could like I just feel the political class in the among the set of priorities that mm. preoccupied them mm. as terms of policy aims land reform caste equality yeah agriculture you know these sorts of things I mean this on the question of culture 
there has just not been a considered mm. uh, decision and mm. uh, yeah i i think it's one of those i i would like to, i don't have a clear answer if there's a mechanism why we haven't had a strong enough movement mm. but you're right i mean it's not linked with caste here mm. canada became a cause everyone identified with yeah. across yeah. caste and across religions yeah um so maybe once you start looking i don't have a theory <laughs> but, I, but, I, but i but i but i definitely uh, feel that uh, there's been extreme uh, irresponsibility on the part of uh, Yeah. the policy class yes. on this matter because just look at how the fact that you have 1500 schools in bangalore mm. which have got the license to run kannada medium schools mm. and are actually running english mm. medium schools <laughs> i mean that that tells you something <laughs> about the yeah. like yeah. how much you want to enforce it, it tells yeah. you what how where it stands in your list of uh, priorities yeah. but moving on from language one other thing that we sort of want to discuss and it's always brought up in the context of karnataka politics is the importance of vakkaligas versus the importance of lingayats and the new uh, acronym which has become popular in the last 4 5 years has been the ahinda acronym and for those of our listeners unfamiliar with it it essentially translates into a an as a loose alliance of backward caste dalits and minorities uh, in karnataka um I wonder if we can sort of talk about how this might have played a role that all politics in Karnataka is really just caste politics which leaves no no space for say maybe a cultural or a linguistic politics to emerge. Look I mean this is you know we we now in the the beginnings of the story are you know uh again late 19th century early 20th century right. uh, the all india level huh. uh mobilizations around caste that you notice hmm. by educated people in cities. Yes. and so in karnataka if you look in mysore at that point um the lingayats and vokaligas start their caste associations in 1905 mm-hmm. 1906 mm-hmm. the kurupas come 20 years after okay but if you look into what who are in this there no a handful of people the 250 people in bangalore okay they will have a, a small newsletter mm-hmm. but they'll be speaking on behalf of a large collectivity mm-hmm. which may not even know of the existence of this group yes. mm-hmm. So over the years, it's a gradual, uh, you know, mobilization of support, etc. But but by then, the idea that having numbers on your side matters in representative sort of arenas where voting is a way of uh, accessing power is on people's minds. Uh, so these two castes get there, mm. and they are the dominant caste in Mysore. And numbers, you know, locally has about twenty percent at that time, and Linga is eleven. Mm-hmm. And this statistical uh, size changes after the North Karnataka regions get fused with Karnataka. Okrika yes. slipped to eleven, and Linga has become sixteen. Yeah. So they're the early bids mm-hmm. on making themselves visible, and an extraordinary fact that I feel hasn't been investigated, and I don't have an answer to this, is how the Muslims were almost twelve percent at that time. Mm-hmm. were just not part of this imagination of being a legitimate claimant hmm. towards being represented in um, political arenas right you had some discussion of bureaucratic representation but definitely not in the um but be that as it may um, so you have these big castes who are evenly spread but the fact that they're educated and landed dominance a capacity to you know to put oneself forward as someone who's capable of you know contesting an election etc all of them are gone together yeah and it's only with devrajars who is from a backward caste in the mid 70s um who tries to uh, let politicians from smaller castes emerge as yeah. leaders within the congress mm. 
and he's helped in this task by the fact that he's part of a, a split Congress at that time and with Indira Gandhi behind him uh, he's able to pull off a lot including land reforms right. uh, in the middle of the emergency <laughs> something that has to be uh, looked into closely and after that I think it's been a gradual uh, you know accommodation mm. of the non-dominant castes mm. in the political arena the Congress of course made allowances for Dalits mm. in terms of their, there are reserved constituencies and the Dalits are solidly with them um, but with the 80s and the Janata government you have a shaking up of that yes. uh, Janata party makes space for uh, Dalits too and they also have lot, significant numbers of Dalit politicians. Mm. So what you have, um, you know, just looking at how the Dalit uh, caste politics has shaped, um, since the 80s, uh, there was a sense that there is a division within the Dalits. Yes. There are the left-handed Dalits and who feel like they have not got the advantages, political or even mm. reservation advantages in the bureaucracy to the extent that they right have. Mm. And between them, the cultural dynamics are extremely tense. Yes. Uh, the right is supposed to relate with them the way the non-Dalits relate with Dalits yes. in every sphere of activity. Mm. Uh, so that, the Janata Dal try to uh, self-consciously cultivate and uh, uh, and accommodate. And Devagoda had a sense for the Adi Jambavas mm. as, a, as a forum for accommodating the left-handed among the Dalits. Um, and in 2004, you had the AG Sadashiva Commission, which was formed to look into the issue. And eight years later, the, he came up with a report that actually explicitly recommended internal reservation yeah. for the left and the right and what is called the touchable Dalits. Mm. Who, you know, Dalits who are not actually Dalits in practice, but who had made it into the SC list. Oh. Mm. Okay which is officially recognized, mm -hmm. but the that report's recommendations are yet to be implemented. It's touchy. Yeah. But what you do see is that the BJP, after the Janata Dal becoming weak in North Karnataka, has actually stepped in to accentuate that politics. So Govind Karjohol, who is the Deputy Chief Minister today, yes. is a left uh, yeah. Dalit, and the left-handed Dalits are uh, heavily present in the Hyderabad Karnataka region. Mm -hmm where Karge also comes from, incidentally. Um, so, the first time Edirapa becomes the chief minister, you will notice a lot of attention being given to castes, uh, you know, the left-handed Dalit castes, uh, grants being made uh, to build various buildings. Lidkar gets an enormous amount of uh, <laughs> financial assistance. The leather workers are there. So, yeah, so that you notice. Uh, so, the now... I think the Congress continues to bank on the right-handed Dalits yeah. and um, BJP is now playing with the left. There you have that. Yeah. But the backward cast have, you know, Sidrama's Ahinda movement was really an attractive slogan, mm. but how much of it has actually happened even under his tenure within the Congress is has to be looked into. Um, you know, how many backward cast leaders has he groomed? Yeah. Mm. I, I can't think of any. Yeah. Uh, you know, definitely the Kurova community has definitely gained mm -hmm. uh, in political visibility. Um, but are there other smaller castes have gained? I'm not sure. sure. But actually, the BGP, again, it's not just the left hand Dalits. The smaller castes, which needed resources, mm -hmm. um, you know, for various you know, community objectives, 
during Yadirupa's tenure, I think, from the budget itself, a lot was given out to heads of matas of small castes as development funds. Mm-hmm. And there was a cultivation of support. Yeah. And you have to look into this uh, more carefully. I mean, if you want to look into the, the most recent phase of backward caste mobilization. Mm. It's, it's, it's been about the non, like, in a sense, I think somewhat sim- something similar to what has tended to happen in, say, a place like UP, where Dalit has become synonymous with the Jatav caste and backward caste has become synonymous with Yadav. But that has left out a whole other coalition of castes who might belong in the same socioeconomic status or social and economic status, uh, but don't enjoy the same kind of prominence or the same kind of political power that, say, these two castes might enjoy. And as you were just saying it, I was thinking mentally in my head, in Karnataka, the right-handed Dalits are with the uh, left-wing parties and the left-handed Dalits are with the (laughs) right-wing parties. So it's it's a very... uh, And it also also talks about the trajectory of the polity. The Congress was able to let in uh, certain categories of uh, or, or certain Dalit castes but that still meant that they excluded a large number of uh, Dalit castes in the process and it, it even within the Dalit castes there are clear hierarchies I think what the Sadashivaya uh, Sadashiv committee says and it's a very contentious con- constitutional issue as it stands today in fact the Supreme Court is currently due to hear a challenge on whether uh, such kind of inter-se uh, um, what do you call it, uh, preference can be given. Because I think the model adopted by Andhra was not that there will be sub-reservations within reservation, that, you know, of the 20... Internal internal, there won't be internal reservations, but we will give preference to those castes which have not benefited from reservation. So, put, put the way this might work is that, say, of the 21% of the list of candidates, you will first go to the... Uh, eligible candidates from the left-handed Dalit communities and then go to the right-handed community without necessarily saying this many percentage and so on. So that's that's a constitutional issue. But it also brings forth that when we tend to use the term Dalit as a whole, we miss out and erase some of the more complicated questions of what this identity means uh, on the ground. And we, we can't just use very blanket terms and very blanket understanding of this. Yeah, and Nalok, there's another story hmm. uh, which uh, we can, uh, you know, the, the tribals in Karnataka. Yes, I was going to come to yeah. It right. was after delimitation yes. in 2008. Yeah. yeah. The number of tribal reserved constituencies goes up yeah. from 2 to 15. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and five of them are in Bellari alone. Yeah. Yes. And uh, Shri Ramulu and uh, yes. Satish yeah. Jarikuli, the Jarikuli brothers, they're all, you know, From they're all community. riding on this, mm. uh, you know, in this newly reserved sort of mm. quotas. Mm. And that happened because of the constitutional reclassification of tribes in 95, mm. uh, when Nayaks, mm. you know, the, from, you know, they were classified as a tribe mm. for the first time. You know, you have Nayaks, uh, you know, in Chitradurga, who always were local to the place, and your Nayaks from who came Maharashtra, they get clubbed, and they, with their clout, are able to, uh, you know, they, are they seen as tribals by tribals? Is a question yeah. to ask. It's not. I mean, the tribals, you know, do they feel more empowered after having six, 15 seats? No. It's not. I mean, okay. it's because it's opened up avenues for, an, and here again, um, you know, the, the BJP was confident because of the proximity with the Reddy brothers and Sri Ramulu's own claims to being the leader of the tribals in all these newly reserved. That is a fraught relationship, mm-hmm. but they are with them. Yeah, and and we recently had in Bangalore the last few months, sometime 
a strong movement for increased reservations uh, for the valmiki community uh, which is a scheduled tribe uh, community and interestingly a lot the of valmiki this community is the is an Ayat, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and interestingly this was an agitation which was not led by the politicians but by the spiritual leaders uh, and uh, some of people people may have seen a recent controversial video where edurappa is seen sparring with a spiritual leader who demands a certain number of uh, posts uh, ministry yeah, yeah. posts for uh, members of his caste and i, I, I and i'm wondering is that a subtle dynamic that we are seeing change between the how the political role of spiritual leaders in terms of pushing for the caste's claims You know, the heads of matas have been very important yeah. in politics, yeah. not just election politics yeah. in Karnataka. Mm. But what you see happen now, the mm. two examples you mentioned, is a certain brazen openness. Okay. It's, no, it's no longer backdoor maneuvering. Mm. I mean, the, the hesitation mm. about being seen doing this is no longer there. That's because you know, the causal arrows go back. Mm. If uh, Yadiyurappa can openly say, mm. if you're a Lingayat, you have to vote for me. <laughs> Otherwise, you will see one of your leaders lose. Yeah. So he's made himself vulnerable that way. Right. And the leaders are being, you know, are, are riding on that mm. confidence that we, we, you know, he's he's no one without us. Yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> performatively speaking, yeah. Yeah. This is behind that confidence. Mm. And Yadiyurappa, if you noticed, mm. he expressed irritation, yes. but he can't quit the stage. He, he went back to his seat. seat. Yes. yes. Um, so there is that, but more generally. Uh, again, a phenomenon that has to be studied is the emergence of uh, newer matas. Mm. For a caste to be completed, it has to have a mata. mata yes. And historically speaking, it's only the Brahmins and the Lingayats who mm. had matas. Mm. Even the Vakkaligas get their mata fairly recently, 1910. Ah, yes. Although now the histories are, mm. say that it's been an 800-year-old mata, which, you know. Um, yeah, so there is this thing where a spiritual head... uh you have to have one uh someone who can then uh, you know be, be a mark of you having been had a composite of, of, of existence that yes. you, you, you that you have so a lot of dalit castes have their own mata heads yes. uh and you know they were emerged recently mata to understand to mean you know an, an ashram like institution with funds and with the staff and It remains to be seen the what kinds of textual traditions they'll you know claim to represent etc they'll all be being you know assembled yeah. but it's an interesting phenomenon i wouldn't be cynical about this i think it's uh, you know it's a need uh, that the communities feel that we also ought to have one yeah. and i wouldn't uh, you know make them feel guilty okay historically you've never had one how can you have one oh, now yes. i mean that's not a, uh, an answer i would give uh, them but it's uh, fascinating to watch yes absolutely so, um, and i wonder if there is a need to f- is is this an exceptional occurrence as in the case of karnataka um, attributable to some of the things we discussed before the lack of a, of a measurable definable other uh, or is it uh, is it does it have other social explanations beyond uh, beyond sort of the trajectories of politics over the last 30 40 years i haven't seen anywhere else in the country the kind of role matas play in state politics to the extent i have here yeah. like yogi adityanand is also part of a mata yeah goraknath pant yes. that he uh, that he represents yeah. but how influential was it 
or you know are there matters like that throughout up i don't know i don't believe so i no in uh, fact we asked uh, i think we we had an episode about haryana a few yes, weeks yes, ago yes, and yes, we asked yes, the yes, guest i think yes, ankur bharadwaj yes. uh, who's a journalist about whether the deras in haryana are influential and i think the i mean the synthesis of his answer is that no Uh, and i think uh, justified exceptionalism for the case of karnataka in that yeah. sense yeah. so yes and matas i must say you know have played an extraordinary role uh, you know outside of being involved in you know politics of this kind in terms of their own community uplift if you want to use these yeah. words colleges and you know and and, and settling disputes at the local level yeah. arranging marriages ensuring orphan kids are not abandoned a whole host of things that you would expect to be within the provenance of the state yeah. as a but uh, right. the community level uh, you know uh, care has been ensured at local levels and they and sometimes even matas that are identified with the caste have not been exclusive in who they have helped mm. so the the legitimacy they enjoy in the region is transcast it's beyond caste that's very interesting and it's also very uh, aggregation of groups of individuals is also a very interesting way to negotiate and claim state patronage uh, which as you pointed out the matas have been able to do and are trying to do um, both by being um, providers of services that are traditionally the domain of the state but also uh, in the electoral sense where they are staking claim in more obvious ways uh, and perhaps also through less obvious ways from the back channel approach but uh, pulling away from this discussion on caste which uh, is profoundly fascinating i feel like we'd, we could go on for a long time uh, pulling away from that into the another question we've sort of wanted to explore with you which is the question of bangalore um i think this you know just for a moment the statistics show that it is about 18 20% of the state's population i want to say yeah, and uh, is about 10% of the seats not that this mathematical correlation should have significant meaning or should be the cause for any kind of uh, of uh, reallocation or delimitation but there's one question there but also in some ways bangalore has been the site or the imaginary around which some kinds of uh, political movements or political imaginations have been constructed so how do we make sense of it and bangalore has been in the throes of significant change over the last 2 3 decades in terms of enormous migration um a rapid growth of the city so you know how do we think about it and in, e- even in in what way should be we, we be framing the questions around bangalore see one response to recognizing the new realities of bangalore which i don't go along with yeah. has been the demand to say let's give it a separate place make it a union territory or have a directly elected mayor with cabinet ministers powers some or say that the tax generated from here 50% of it should remain within hmm. there's a variety of ways in which the the this new found uh, you know significance for bangalore is being understood <coughs> and you're right 28 mlas are from here and this is big the bangalore we are referring to is the post 2008 yeah. bangalore yes. the, the second were, delimitation when the 111 uh, villages were brought in and brought in and then yeah. that increased the population yes. significantly yes um but the migration question more than half of the migrants to the city continue to be from within the state yes. um so that you know uh, tells you that the number of kannada speakers is also you know is there yeah. and from different parts of the state um in you know in terms of 
there being cultural space for expressiveness amongst various communities i think bangalore has been a free free place it's not you know uh, in fact it's, it's been very hospitable to new things new experiments of various kinds um but i would i would continue to see the story of bangalore as uh, of course it has you know its own energies and its own independence in terms of having its own story to present but in cultural terms i would like to continue to see it as being part of karnataka uh, because the rest of the state is looking at it as our capital city and we can't afford to say well we're separate yes sir <laughs> and uh, the rest of the state looks at bangalore because uh, you know they have they are the ones who have come here for to meet officers to for court cases and and this is the capital city where the legislative discussions are held but also you know they have also felt that you know whenever they they don't have regular power supply they know that you know it's being diverted elsewhere when when in funding is cut for infrastructure that you know you know that is being diverted elsewhere and you know bangalore is everything yeah. uh, although we complain that we don't have as much in terms of road qualities <laughs> or public infrastructure but outside it's seen as a place with everything and i and i think it's important i mean it's evolved in the, in this fashion um my very you know, most villages have family members mm. whose children work here and they go back and it's amazing the urbanization here mm. uh it, it it is unlike what we saw in the west uh because the people who come here have active ties with uh, their homes and families in the village so festival days you know buses are full impossible so there is a there's a way in which bangalore isn't cutting itself loose hmm. from the rest of the state in yeah. in so many ways yeah. and the entertainment industry is here the news industry is here and we're in participates yeah. and uh, there's a sense in which bangalore is integral um yeah i just feel the the canada issue is i think still a tense matter mm. and if you look closely as to what precisely do the canada activists want the non canadians to do mm. it is not a clear demand yeah. uh, i i it's really a more of a demand that we, that you know you should not slight the language it is also sort of symbolic mm. things mm. and that you should try to learn the language yeah. and here again these demands are being made in a federal context where you feel when we come to your state don't we this is what activists say when we go there we speak their language and they have to do similarly so a sense of fairness is being imagined here and not an excuse to just assert one's will otherwise it would seem illegitimate it would seem excessive because canadians do have an image of themselves as tolerant and liberal people <laughs> and in fact even the canada activists the more strident kind will tell you show us where we've been violent at yeah. most we may have broken glass and this is what someone told me <laughs> <laughs> so so there's a way in which i think uh, the local sort of the the canada sort of you know the canada issue uh, those moving into bangalore will have to somehow engage it yeah. in some capacity yeah. i don't think there's a strict way or one way of doing it mm. because it is really not a very uh, Uh, I mean it's 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 I feel this is the one unsettled thing. Mm. Um because I, in fact I don't even think one has to learn Kannada mm. at all. I mean it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a question of gesture. Mm. It's a question of how we're relating yeah. to a place. I think it's that. Mm. But of course there are people trying to profit from this anxiety. But they haven't grown into an effective political force, yeah. force because 
their commitment is of that kind yeah. it is an it's a different sort of a commitment you know so yeah i think uh, it's a, it's a it's a big question that you've posed i'm not sure if i understood what you um, wanted me to engage but i um, but i think yeah i mean is he speaking more generally i wish uh, bangalore like a whole like the rest of the cities in india became a bit more self confident these are we culture from outside yeah. i continue to think there's a fascination for uh, you know western culture and there's a way, not just in terms of culture but in a way in which um you try to you know take place in relation to the outside world mm. i think in that matter i think a bit more confidence in oneself in what one has achieved and uh that i would like to see yeah. and this is not just about canadigas yeah. this it's, is it's about also about the yeah. city of bangalore yeah but one <laughs> final question and before we wrap up this episode one gets the sense that there are actually two bangalores um, and well the historical reason is one part of bangalore was under the mysore principality and the other half was under the madras presidency and the two were put together and uh, in some ways i think like at least the western parts of the city um have grown into areas which were sort of i think more, less kannada speaking in some ways whereas the sorry the eastern part of the cities were less kannada speaking in some ways and the western parts were more kannada speaking in some ways i wonder if those boundaries still remain or are getting hardened in some way yeah look the, the cantonment part which huh. you had in mind yes. that was not part of the madras okay. presidency but it was where the british settled yeah the british settled yes and it was an exclusive place and yep. they brought in people to yes. work there mm-hmm. and a high number of urdu speakers right. uh, with a thriving urdu press mm-hmm. uh, you know the early i mean the, you can sense the difference yeah right i mean uh, even when you go in there yes. uh, the but i think the the previous sense of mm. you know be it being truly insular mm. it being an anglo space or uh, is no longer there there's been a lot of movement of people mm. But I think Bangalore now is. Uh, uh, I mean, if you're truly, you know, this is the broad cut division that you alerted us to. Right? Yeah. The, an Anglo space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, does it continue to remain distinctive? Yeah. I think that distinctiveness has come down. Okay. Although it hasn't disappeared. Yes. But if you go to different, you know, the the parts of Bangalore headed towards Tamil Nadu will be yeah. different than with Andhra and. The, and <laughs> I, I mean, I think every city has its like sort that. of unique, like micro regions. I suppose I grew up in Hyderabad, which has its, uh, you know, different characters to different parts of the city. Even so, I think uh, that yeah. is the. And I also wonder if it's in some ways related to communities, at least in the in the contemporary sense, can be related to communities seeking the opportunity to be close to similar sorts of people. Yeah. Uh, but one um, quick thing before yeah. I appear a hopeless culturalist, <laughs> and I, I, I do, I, I do think there are serious, you know, yeah. class yeah. Is, issues of class yeah. inequalities in Bangalore. I mean, housing yeah. has, you know, it's just. You I know, have you headed the Bombay way, I, uh, or have you already reached there? Yeah. Because you know, you have a, a family that has put aside yeah. savings to buy something at the end of yeah. retirement. Yeah. It finds itself unable to do so. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and. Uh, Yeah I think that's that's very mm. unfortunate I think yeah. housing has become unaffordable yes and uh, and these are the contradictions yeah. you know the the part of the city's wealth has brought yeah. this about yeah. that real estate has become so expensive yes yeah. yeah I think I hope you know that matter is uh, housing being a being a, an index of mm. a whole set of issues yeah. Yeah. of access to 
you know water electricity good schooling etc but also uh, a sense of you know living under less hostile conditions mm. absolutely uh, absolutely and i think i mean i think uh, political mobilization at least in, in my own doctoral work i saw a lot of it was based on the idea of housing or um, in the term in the field it was kayam shashwat like mm. words that indicated that permanence that was yeah. related to the idea of housing uh, and the absolute inequality and there's quite a lot of literature discussing that in the context of bangalore but i think this is all we have time for no, i thank you. Uh, i wish we could discuss this for longer and yes. we definitely would like to have chandan back no thank you sarif sometime soon but i think Fun talking this, to you yes yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to all our listeners thank you very much for tuning in and see you next wednesday see you Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye.